Hello. My name is Rick. I work here. I am honored to be associated with the Brindley family and to be their co-workers for Christ. They'll always be a part of this church. I am uh, glad to be back. I've been gone for several weeks this summer, uh, preaching in some other places. The highlight of my time away from you was to be in Morelia, Mexico, where we uh, helped plant a church six years ago. I visited Sam and Ann Gonzalez and Sarah Holland, our missionaries there. It was a fabulous experience. Morelia is in the mountains of central Mexico, a city of a million people, and it's over 6,000 feet elevation. The warmest it got the whole time I was there was 78 degrees. Who wants to go be a missionary in Morelia right now? You need to go down there and see. It's a beautiful city, and there's a beautiful church there, and they send their greetings. And I got to also say, I'm so thankful that while I was gone, you got to hear the preaching of Jonathan Stormont. I listened to every sermon. I thought he did a great job. And I am so thankful that you get fed so well while I'm gone. You need to know, I love that guy. I'm not the least bit jealous of that guy. I think you need a break from me every summer. I don't have a problem with that. My problem is my wife says, how come I don't get a break from you every summer? But we're in counseling. So we're back to our... We're back to our study called Identity, as we explore some of the names God has for our new creation status. An elderly woman visited a country church, and a friendly usher helped her up the steps and asked her where she would like to sit. And she said, I would like to sit on the front row, please. And in quiet tones, he said, oh, ma'am, you don't want to do that. Our pastor is very boring. And she said quite indignantly, do you know who I am? He said, no. She said, I am the pastor's mother. And he said, do you know who I am? She said, no. He said, good. (laughs) See, every week, the church assembles... To deal with her identity issues. We gather around a table like we did a moment ago. To remind ourselves who we are. That we are as we've already studied this summer. The saints of God. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. And co-heirs with Christ. We are aliens and strangers to the world. And we reclaim this identity. And we recommit to getting in the way. You see, in the earliest days of this revolution Jesus started, nobody called us the Church of Christ, the Lord's Church. We were called the way. And I don't know when or why we lost that name. But I fear that when we did, we lost something very important with regard to understanding what it means to follow Christ. We stopped being in the way. And we got stuck. And this morning, I'd like us to 
reconsider what it might mean if we got that name back and the blessings it might bring. One would be that the way resists all attempts to turn a movement into a monument. You see, Jesus established a new, wild, radical movement of people. But today, most people think when they become a Christian, they have reached a destination. They went on a journey, they found what they were looking for, now they're a Christian, and they stop. In the early days, people understood becoming a Christian not as reaching a destination, but as beginning a journey. That to be a Christian was to enter into a lifelong trek of learning to follow the way of Jesus. His last words to his disciples were, I want you to go make more disciples. I want you to go to all the ethnic groups of the world. I want you to preach the gospel to them. I want you to baptize them into the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And then I want you to teach them what it means to follow my teachings. Now, Jesus did not say, now, that's too much for some people, so you're going to create two groups. The big group is going to be called Christians, and they're just going to get baptized and kind of stay still. And the small radical group is going to be called disciples, and they're going to keep growing and learning and moving. He didn't say that. The word disciple means learner, and you're going to be a learner all your life because disciples never arrive. And by the way, neither do churches. This whole idea that we have restored the church is not even biblical. The church never arrives. The church is always growing and changing as it asks the question in every age and in every culture, what does it mean for us to be Jesus right here, right now? The church is changing, and we're changing, and we're moving, and we're growing. To follow Christ is to commit to a life of movement. Jesus called it the narrow way. He said up front, it's not going to be popular with most people. In fact, if you are in the way, you are probably out of step with the majority. And resistance is to be expected. I find it significant that every time the term the way is used in the book of Acts, it is in the context of conflict. Let's just walk those examples and I'll show you what I mean. It first appears in Acts chapter 9 when Paul, then named Saul, was on his way to Damascus. It says that he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. But you know that Saul, who became Paul, had a life-changing experience and encounter with Christ on that road. He became a follower of the way. And he said in Acts 19, some rejected his message and publicly spoke against the way. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. And so he went out to the Greek people and began to preach in the streets of Ephesus to them, calling them to leave their ways and to follow Jesus. And when they did, they left their idol worship, which hurt the sale of idols, which caused an uproar. It says in verse 23 that about that time, serious 
trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. And then in Acts 22, he's given his spiritual autobiography to a group of Jews in Jerusalem. And he says in verse 4, I persecuted followers of the way, hounding some to death, binding and delivering both men and women to prison. And then later before a Roman official, Paul says, I admit I follow the way, which they call a sect. Notice how often the word follow is accompanied by the phrase, the way. To be in the way is to be moving. It's to be growing. It's to be changing. And every time it's used, it's in the context of conflict. That the majority aren't in the way. The majority are against the way. The early Christians did not make life easy on themselves getting in the way. And so why did they choose the road less traveled? Well, they had two non-negotiable convictions that compelled them. The first was their belief that Jesus is the only way to God. You see, all religions are attempting to answer the same question. How can a man find his way back to God. And the first Christians were willing to die for their belief there was only one right answer to that question. They understood exactly what their master meant when he said in John 14, 6, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, please notice, Jesus did not say, I show the way. Now, that's what all other religious leaders do. Muhammad, Buddha, Mary Baker Eddy, you name the founder, that's what they do. They show the way to God. Jesus didn't say, I'm showing a way. And notice also, he did not say, and I am one of many ways. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, you don't get to God. Except through me. And it was this conviction that became the early church's missionary mandate. And that's why they went to other countries. And that's why they had conflict with people about religion. Because they didn't believe all religions basically teach the same thing. And it's all just a bunch of different ways to get to God. No, they would go and they would say, you need to leave your way and you need to get in this way. By the way, people are saying, you know, Christianity is so exclusive. Every religion is exclusive. That's why it exists. The reason it exists is because it says we know a way you don't know and you need to go this way. All religions teach they're the way. But the difference is this. Every other religion says there's a gulf between you and God and I will show you the way to build a bridge Across the gulf. You follow our tenets. You practice our principles. You believe our beliefs. And you can build a bridge. To God. Now it says in Acts 14. When Paul was preaching. In earlier days. He permitted all the nations. To go their own ways. 
But he never left himself without a witness. In other words, through God's creation, through his conscience that he gave us, that inner compass, God always gave men a reason to suspect our way might not be sufficient. And the problem with all the other ways is they teach you how to build the bridge. But no matter how hard you try, the bridge is never going to be long enough. Let me show you this picture. On the left is a brand new bridge built in China. I think it's Zhejiang City Bridge. It cost $1.7 billion. They claim it's the longest sea bridge in the world. Now, our good friends down in Louisiana point to the Lake Pontchartrain. You know, Cajun is as hard to speak as Chinese. <laughs> bridge. And they say, no, that's the longest bridge in the world. And the Chinese say, yeah, but you're a lake bridge and we're a sea bridge. And so they go back and forth and argue who's built the biggest bridge. That's what all the other religions of the world are doing. They're simply arguing, our religion builds the longest bridge. But what if everything you do to build a bridge still isn't long enough to reach God? Christianity comes along and says, God has to build the bridge. Hebrews chapter 10 says, So dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. This is the new life-giving way that Christ has opened up for us through the sacred curtain by means of his death for us. Our religions do not teach the same thing. The rest teach, here's what you do. We'll show you the way to build your bridge. Christianity says you can't build a bridge. It's got to be built by God. Let me ask you a question. If all the different religions are all just different ways to God, why was the cross necessary? What kind of divine despot sits on his throne in heaven and watches Jesus get brutally tortured and murdered if it wasn't necessary? Because there's lots of different ways. But there aren't. Listen to Romans chapter 3. But now God has shown us a different way of being right in His sight. Not by obeying the law, but by the way promised in the scriptures long ago. We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we can all be saved in this same way. No matter who we are. Or what we've done. For all have sinned. All fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet now God in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty. And he's done this through Christ Jesus. Who's freed us by taking away our sins. No other religious leader has ever said he was qualified to take away your sins. But Jesus did. There is A way to God. And it is splattered with the blood of the Lamb. And our first brothers and sisters were willing to go to prison and even die for that conviction. That Jesus is the only way to God. But that's not all they believed. They also believed that Jesus is the best way to live. And they understood that the way of Jesus wouldn't just take them to his cross. It would take them to their own. 
You see, discipleship is not just accepting Jesus as Savior. If that's all it is, then you can get there and stop. But discipleship is accepting Jesus as sovereign. It's saying, Jesus, you are now my master, and every day I'm going to be learning from you how life is supposed to be lived in the kingdom of God. That discipleship is more than just a retirement plan. It is living under the rain right now. And this is not radical. This is normal for the kingdom of God. All through the gospel of Mark, he uses this little phrase, on the way to talk about Jesus going to the cross. Notice in Mark 10, when he meets Bartimaeus and he is uh, healed of his blindness, Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him on the way. Now, Mark is saying, that's discipleship. Jesus is on the way to a cross and you follow him. Now, I've been gone for about three weeks. And this message has been building. And it's all pent up. So you're going to have to let me vent for a few minutes. How did being a good Christian become little more than an expectation to be nice? That being a Christian today in this culture is simply I'm a good neighbor, a good citizen. And I don't cuss so much. And the problem is, not that we don't have a lot of people in the church, but we don't have enough in the way. We got too many that rely on Jesus for the next life, but they don't take Him seriously. In this one. Let's be honest. How often are we tempted. To domesticate. And accommodate. What Jesus said. About how to live. To fit into the real world. Because Jesus knows a lot. About how to get us to heaven. But he doesn't have a clue. About living in the 21st century. Right? I mean he said. Do good. To the people that hate you. Well that's nuts. People will walk all over you. If you do that. He said. If you got two coats. And you know someone doesn't have one. Why do you have two coats? Give that coat away. And don't ask for it back. Are you crazy? People will use you. If you live like that. He said, guys, you're having trouble with lust? Pluck that eye out. You better do something radical to get out of your life whatever's causing you to lust. You can't do that, Jesus. This is a 21st century. And we're guys and everybody's got to look a little bit now and then. That's just keeping it real. He said, don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink. Well, if I don't, who is? He said, don't store up Treasures for yourself on earth. Well, I've 
never heard a financial advisor say that. If I don't take care of myself, who's going to? You bet I'm going to store up treasure on earth. I'm going to store up all I can. That's just good business sense. My point is, we think Jesus knows a lot about heaven. We don't think he's got a clue about life. We think Jesus is good. We just don't think he's very smart. And the result is static, stuck discipleship. There's this bike race they have in India that's quite interesting. All the bikes get on the line, the gun goes off, and the goal is to see in a certain amount of time who can go the least distance. If you put your foot on the ground, you're disqualified and you're out of the race. So how slow can you go? How balanced can you stay so that when the race is over, the person who's gone the farthest is the loser and the person who has gone the least is the winner. Do you know any Christians like that? They've been in Christ for 5, 10, 50 years. And they're basically the same people they were when they started. I want you to wrestle with a hard question this morning. If you didn't believe in Jesus, how different would your life be? Now really, if you didn't grow up in a Christian home, you didn't have any Christian friends and no one ever told you that. If you didn't believe in Jesus, how different would your life be? Well, obviously, you wouldn't be here right now. You'd probably cuss more. Is that it? Is that all the difference it's making? Because if that's it, then Christianity is just your hobby. And forgive me, but you got a lame hobby. Go out and get yourself a real hobby. Take up golf. Start scrapbooking. Christianity wasn't supposed to be a hobby. It was supposed to be a way of living that makes no sense to people unless they believe that Jesus is smart. That's what your first brothers and sisters thought. He wasn't just good. He knew more about how to be fully alive than anybody they had ever heard. They heard him say, Luke chapter 9, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. 
See, they understood he wasn't just talking about life after death. He was talking about now. Do you want to be fully alive? Do you want to embrace life like God meant for it to be known? Then die now and follow Jesus. Yes, it's radical. It won't make sense to people who don't think he's smart. It's not supposed to. Listen to Erwin McManus, his great little book, The Barbarian Way. He writes this paragraph. Somewhere along the way, the movement of Jesus Christ became civilized as Christianity. We created a religion using the name of Jesus Christ and convinced ourselves that God's optimal desire for our lives was to insulate us in a spiritual bubble where we risk nothing, sacrifice nothing, lose nothing, worry about nothing. Yet Jesus' death wasn't to free us from dying. But to free us from the fear of death. Jesus came to liberate us so that we could die up front. And then live. Jesus Christ wants to take us to places. Where only dead men and women can go. You see the call consists of making radical daily choices To get in the way. Because every day. Jesus is going to put a cross in your path. And say pick it up. And walk this way. It won't make sense to anyone else. But trust me. We've learned. How to be in church. But how to get out of the way. And so. A month ago I'm counseling with a couple. I said to him, are you a Christian, a follower of Jesus? Yes, I am. Are you a Christian, a follower of Jesus? Yes, I am. But you want to get a divorce? Yes, we do. So we talked about the cross, and we talked about dying to self, and we talked about the hard work of honoring God by fixing this marriage. And they both said, yeah, but I think God wants me to be happy. And so they're going to get a divorce. And I promise you, he's going to find a church to go to, and she's going to find a church to go to, and they're going to be in church. But they got out of the way. And the young couple goes out and puts themselves in debt up to their eyeballs to buy a house that has, that's so big they got four rooms they'll never even need. And the only way they'll be able to pay for that house is to severely cut back on their offerings to their church. To forget about ever responding to a spontaneous contribution to help the poor. But hey, they're chasing the American dream. Even if it means for the next 30 years of their life they can't respond to the call of God to be generous. They'll be in church. But they got out of the way. We've learned how to do this well. We lost our name. And we forgot who we are. The early Christians understood you can't have it both ways. And the life that some call radical made perfect sense to them. And it still does to some. 
I want you to watch a brief testimony of one of your newest sisters. My name is Afsane Mansouri. Uh, I was born in Iran uh, from a Muslim parents. My husband was a Muslim. One day I, I took the children to the library and uh, there was a lady uh, that somehow uh, in that communication, she figured out that I'm looking for something in life, something real. She handed me uh, something regarding Bible studies. My husband was definitely, he said, no, he said, no, there is no way that uh, we are Muslim, you are born Muslim, my children are also Muslim, and there is no way that uh, you can learn about Christianity or take my children to church. I decided to get a Bible uh, from library and study it myself. I was opening um, the Bible, and believe it or not, always the story somehow imported into my day and situation and gave me listen and learn, uh, follow follow that message. Uh, Sunday, when attending at the church, always uh, the preacher somehow is giving um, the, the thought of the word, the talk of the word was somehow exactly so meaningful to me. It was a springtime, March of 2008, that I was baptized and I started a new life in me. Converting to be a Christian, I have lost my mother, my father, my home, my kids, my husband. Church is a place that gathers all the people and serves as the body of the Christ. I am part of it um, with all the other people and all other Christians. I'm ready. I'm ready to become a Christian and uh, involved in my church and do my best and help the others and get into my life as a Christian, as a real Christian. Not just keep it in the heart. Have to keep it and be proud of it and share that experience with others. You know, there was... There was once a time when it was just understood that if you were going to get in the way, you'd have to pay a price. And it made no sense unless you believed Jesus was good and Jesus was smart. But then... You knew. The price of getting out of the way was even greater. My plea to you today is don't become a stuck Christian who's learned how to be in church, but who gets out of the way. 
So I'd like you to bow with me right now, please. And I want you to start the prayer this way. Dear Lord, show me right now some specific part of my life where you keep putting the cross and I keep trying to get out of the way. Now, God, give us the courage to do the very thing you are putting on our heart, the very thing we've been afraid to do. Help us to take up that cross and get in the way because the one we follow is good and wise. He is Jesus, the Savior of the world. And we pray in his name. Amen. Now, if you'd like to continue exploring what God's doing in your heart right now, I'd encourage you to go to our chapel, meet at the cross with our elders and ministers. Let's keep talking. Let's keep praying. Let's keep asking ourselves, what's it mean to be in the way? If you are ready to join the number of the way and be baptized into Jesus, come down to the front as we encourage each other in song to follow the steps of our Savior. Let's stand, please.